We are back in 1 Corinthians this morning, so if you have a Bible or you can pull it up on your phone, I encourage you to do that. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 27, which Emily read for us. That's um, about three-quarters of the way through your Bible if you're using the, the Bibles in the seats. So before we move forward, we've been working through 1 Corinthians, but before we move forward into chapter 11, I wanted to go back and highlight one more time the last part of chapter 9. I think it's an important, or it has an important reminder in it for us as a church. When our kids were younger, there was another family whose kids liked to play with our kids. They were about the same age, and our kids loved that too. And so they'd often want to get together. There was only one problem. Whenever we talked about getting the kids together, the other family would always say, that's great, Yeah, our our kids would love to get together, they're available, but can you do the driving? Could you bring your kids here? That's almost always the way it was. They rarely ever offered to come to us. The parents were happy for the kids to get together, but they weren't willing to drive to make it happen. They always asked us to go to them. Now, how do you feel about a relationship like that? Maybe it's okay for a while. In fact, some of you at times have served our, maybe we've been that family. Some of you have served us. You've done more than your share of the driving, and for that we're really grateful. But at some point, if it doesn't even out, at least somewhat, if it's always you come to us, we're never willing to go to you, that's pretty hard on a relationship, isn't it? Well, this attitude of, if we're going to have a relationship, you're going to have to come to me, is about more than just driving. It's kind of a metaphor for whether we're willing to extend ourselves to flex to make a relationship work. And I want to tell you a story that illustrates this. It's from uh, Guidepost magazine, and it's told by a, a woman named Lizzie later in her life. She says, when I was little, we didn't have much. It was the depression. But what we did have was a table full of food because my father grew wonderful vegetables. Lots of hobos who had jumped from the train wandered onto our property looking for a meal, and more often than not, an extra seat was pulled up to the dinner table. One summer afternoon, I was sweeping the kitchen floor when my father's voice came through the screen door. Lizzie, set another plate. We have company tonight. Our guest passed in the doorway. He dipped his head in a gesture of gratitude. Looks like he doesn't speak, speak much English, Dad said, but he's hungry like we are. His name is Henry. When dinner was ready, Henry stood until we all were seated. Then he gently perched on the edge of his chair, his head bowed and his hat in his lap. The blessing was said and the dishes were passed from hand to hand. We all waited as was proper for our guests to take the first bite. Henry must have been so hungry he didn't notice us watching him as he grabbed his knife. Carefully, he slid the blade of his table knife into the pile of peas before him and then lifted a quivering row to his mouth without spilling a single pea. He was eating with his knife. I looked at my sister May and we covered our mouths to muffle our snickers. Henry took another knifeful and then another. My father, taking note of the glances we were exchanging, firmly set down his fork. He looked me in the eye, he took his knife, and he thrust it into the peas on his plate. 
Most of them fell off as he attempted to lift them to his mouth, but he continued until all the peas were gone. Dad never did use his fork that evening because Henry didn't. It was one of our, my father's silent lessons in acceptance. He understood the need for this man to maintain his dignity, to feel comfortable in a strange place with people of different customs. Even at my young age, I understood the greatness of my father's simple act of brotherhood. Isn't that a beautiful example of someone who was willing to go to someone else rather than expect them to come to him? And that's what today's passage is about. It's written by the Apostle Paul, a man who got this. A man who understood that God has set us this example. That God is someone who doesn't expect us to come to him. Rather, God is someone who's willing to go to us, to meet us where we're at. That's the gospel, right? That's the story, the good news about Jesus Christ. God didn't sit in heaven all high and holy and say, if people want a relationship with me, let them come to me. Let them shape up and then let them seek me out. No, God took the initiative. God said, you know what? I love people, so I'm going to go down to them. I'm going to experience what they experience and suffer what they suffer. I'm going to get dirty. I'm going to get uncomfortable. I'm going to stoop down to their level and walk among them and live among them and even die among them. I am going to go to them to rebuild a relationship with them. Right? That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful, right? Has it totally changed your life like it's totally changed mine? As Eugene Peterson, who translated the message paraphrase of the Bible, once put it, God gets down on his knees among us, gets on our level, and shares himself with us. He does not reside afar off and send us diplomatic messages. He kneels among us. That posture is characteristic of God. Wow. Well, question. If the Apostle Paul understood this about God and was touched by it personally and was moved by it, what difference did it make in his own life? If God, the greatest, most wonderful being in the universe, was willing to come down to us to have a relationship with us, what does that mean for our relationships with one another? For the way we, his children, treat people? And for whether we're willing to go to them or whether we expect them to come to us? Well, Paul had been a religious person long before his life was radically changed by Jesus Christ. And Paul was part of a religious community, like a lot of religious communities, that very much had a let them come to us approach to other people. If people want to learn about God, let them come to us, they said. If people want to get their lives sorted out, let them come to us. We're here. We have a lot to offer. We will help them as long as they just come to us. If they seek us out, if they agree to meet us on our turf, if they agree to play by our rules... Well, for the Apostle Paul, meeting Jesus Christ 
radically changed him into a go-to-them person. That's what Paul, in fact, devoted his life to, going to people who were far from God to share the good news, the gospel, that in Jesus Christ, God has gone to us. God is going to everyone. And everyone is welcome to have a relationship with God. And so Paul thoroughly abandoned the come-to-us mentality and he embraced a go-to-them approach. Paul would be the first one to slide his knife into his peas to make a guest feel welcome and comfortable. Because Paul was gospel-saturated, gospel-soaked, gospel-propelled. Paul had let the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, thoroughly change his heart and impact his mentality and his approach to relationships. The Apostle Paul understood what church planter Peyton Jones says in his book, Church Plantology. When Jesus ascended, he left a Jesus-shaped hole in the world, and the church is meant to fill it. Paul understood what writer Alan Hirsch adds, Jesus fleshed out what God is like, Now it is our responsibility to flesh out what Jesus is like. If Jesus is the incarnation of God, then the church, individually and corporately, we must in turn be particular and local incarnations of Jesus. Augustine is described as saying that a Christian is a mind through which Christ thinks, a heart through which Christ loves, a voice through which Christ speaks, and a hand through which Christ helps. Is that what you are seeking to grow into? Well, Paul was. He understood that to follow Jesus is to be like Jesus. And if Jesus came down from heaven and went to people and met them on their own turf, then we as followers of Jesus are expected to do the same. How do we see this approach lived out in the life and relationships of the Apostle Paul? Well, he describes it in today's passage. Let me just read some of it again. He says, though I'm free and I belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone, so to speak, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul went to people. He went to people, literally and figuratively. Paul met people where they were at. With the Jews, he ate kosher, he celebrated the festivals, he avoided, or sorry, he kept the Jewish laws, he avoided the Jewish taboos. With the Gentiles, by contrast, Paul ate whatever they served him, even if it was pork chops. He was a gracious guest. He didn't let his ingrained Jewish upbringing, though he loved it, but this upbringing about staying clean and staying holy, he He didn't let it keep him from entering unclean situations and mixing it up with unholy people. Just like Jesus, Paul was, who Paul was following, 
Paul hung out with sinful people and befriended the ungodly. Paul was taking his cues from Jesus. Paul knew and loved a God who went to people. And Paul's heart had been saturated by the gospel. And so he was willing to go to people too. Question. Has your heart been saturated by the gospel like that? Has mine? Or do we still expect people to come to us? I think that it's so critical that we continue as a church to grow into a community of people whose hearts are so saturated with the gospel that we have a go-to-them attitude rather than, um, rather than a come-to-us attitude and that we develop go-to-them reflexes. Because it's human nature for all of us to want to be comfortable and to want to stay in our comfort zones. It's a temptation for me. And if we're not careful, we can build lots of nice-sounding religious justifications for staying in our comfort zones. There are tons of people out there who need Jesus, who need hope, who are struggling just to hold life together, and who have questions and confusions about God and about life. But it's so tempting to say, we'll help them, just let them come to us. That's all we ask. Let them come to our church services. And then let them keep coming so that we can get to know them at our leisure. And then let them clean up their lives a bit, or at least fake it so we're not uncomfortable with the real mess of their lives. Then we'll help them. Then we'll teach them about Jesus. But if they're not willing to do all that, then, oh well, we just don't have time for them. We're busy with church. You might remember a few years back, a few of us on a Tuesday nights would go to Murphy's Bar and Restaurant. And we'd sit at the bar week after week, and we'd get to know the regulars there. Why? We were bringing church, we were bringing CBC, we were bringing Jesus to the people sitting at the bar. And along the way, we learned about their lives and about their stories. We learned about their hurts and their regrets and their disappointments, and we shared their joys. And we found out what they thought about God and where they thought they stood spiritually. And sometimes we got to pray with them and we got to tell them what we knew about Jesus, that he was a good shepherd looking for lost sheep. And believe me, some of those at the bar really felt like they were lost sheep. Now you can be sure this effort to go to them wasn't always comfortable for us. It involved hanging out with people, some of whom we didn't particularly relate to and listening to drunk people sometimes blabber on about incoherent subjects, listening to people talk about their problems. And as an introvert, sometimes especially when I went alone to Murphy's, I felt nervous and shy. Uh, who would I talk to and, and how would I strike up a conversation? Sometimes I felt nervous about that going by myself. And some nights I was tired and I didn't or I wanted to be just about anywhere else than putting myself outside of my comfort zone in that way. But why did we do it? Why did I do it? Because I worship a God and I follow a Savior who came to me rather than expecting me to go to Him. And so I'm willing to go to people 
rather than expecting them to come to me. When Phil Lucas, who uh, he was the CBCer uh, at the time, who uh, was he was well loved at Murphy's, like he was well loved by us. Um, and when he moved away, everyone at Murphy's was really sad. Uh, enough so that the regulars at Murphy's wanted to come to a goodbye party for him. Well, due to some scheduling conflicts, the date got moved and the location got moved. It wound up being here at CBC. Some of us were here. And uh, we didn't do it inside because we knew some of the people at Murphy's might not feel comfortable going to a church building they weren't familiar with. So we held it out on the patio and we invited a number of them to come. And guess what? Not a single person from Murphy's came to say goodbye to Phil, who they love so much, at this party at a church. Folks, they're not coming to us. Why? Well, a lot of reasons, but for many of them, coming to church is an uncomfortable, foreign, and intimidating thing as much as it would be for some of us to go to a place like Murphy's. There are barriers between those two worlds. Just like there were barriers in the Apostle Paul's day, barriers for Paul as a Jew to go out and mix it up in the Gentile world. So can you imagine the Apostle Paul staying comfortably in Jerusalem, where everyone ate kosher like he grew up eating, And everyone celebrated Passover and tabernacles and the other holidays that they no doubt loved so much, that Paul no doubt loved so much. And there were lots of people who knew the Torah in Jerusalem and they wanted to know it better. So Paul had people to talk to and to discuss with and to teach and to learn from. And so it was comfortable there. The temple was there with its wonderful worship. So you can imagine Paul just thinking, If the world out there wants to know the true God, let them come to us in Jerusalem. And then we'll share with them all the wonderful things that we have here. Where would the world be today if that had been Paul's attitude? Where would we be today, you and I? But no, Paul's heart had been saturated by the gospel. Paul had been deeply impacted by a God who didn't wait for us to come to him, but who went to us. A God who got messy, who got dirty, who got uncomfortable. And so Paul said, that's what I'm going to do too. That's how I'm going to do relationships. I'm going to go to where people are at and meet them on their own turf. I'll change my ways to accommodate them. But you know, this gospel heart, this go-to-them impulse, isn't just relevant as we think about those outside the church. It's also relevant within the church. Particularly for those of us who are leaders or who have been here for a long time and feel like this is our place, our church. And I hope we all feel that way. But if we especially feel that way, we might also have this you-come-to-us attitude. Because it's tempting for us to look at those who are newer here or younger or less involved and to think, I'll take them seriously once they're more committed, once they show up to more things, or they're more dependable. Because they should be. 
They should come to the events and activities I enjoy and that I think are important and worthwhile. And they should show interest in the Bible topics that are interesting and important to me. And once they come to me in that way, then I'll accept them as really having a seat at the table. And if their lives are messy, if they come with some baggage, that would be pretty uncomfortable for me. So we'll just kind of institute a don't ask, don't tell policy. As long as they look the part on Sundays, I won't pry into what's really going on in their lives, and they don't have to tell me, and that way no one gets too uncomfortable. All of this is a come-to-us attitude. It's not a gospel attitude. It's a, this is our church mentality, and this is what we like, and this is how we do things, and you're welcome to join us as long as you come to us and accept it on our terms. And if you don't, well, we might complain about you a little bit inside our heads, or we might try to fix you, or we might invite you or pressure you to come to our favorite events, even though we have no idea if it's the sort of thing that interests you. And then if none of that works, if you won't come to us, then we might just kind of write you off as not that important to us. All the while patting ourselves on the back for being committed, faithful, and mature. And here's the tragic part. If we are someone who's tempted to think that way and have this sort of come-to-us attitude, we don't realize we're doing this, but in the process, not only might we be turning others off to God, but we might be cutting ourselves off from God, too. Because God is a go-to-them God, not a come-to-us God. Jesus told a parable about this. It's in Luke 18, and it's about a Pharisee who was a, a fervent, committed, faithful religious type, and a tax collector who was a despised, sinful, far-from-God sellout. And Jesus said to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, he told this parable. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus concluded, I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who have exalted themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Every church has its Pharisees and its tax collectors, its righteous people and its sinners. And each church has its own unique definition of what constitutes a sinner. I think at CBC, we're, we're trying to be a gospel-saturated church. But if we have a temptation, I think it's to define a sinner as someone who doesn't work hard enough or volunteer enough or show up often enough. And so if you and I are someone who's in danger of looking down on other people, 
in this way. We've got to battle in our heart and say, is my judgmental attitude keeping me from God? Is it actually getting in the way of my relationship with God? Because that person I'm tempted to look down on or write off might actually be the person who's right with God. I might be the Pharisee who's in the spiritual danger here. And so how do we treat people when we, like Paul, have been saturated with the gospel? Well, we go to them. We go to them. And some of you already do this well. You get to know people. You, you don't come at them with your agenda, but you take time, you get to know them, you really listen to them. You find out what they're interested in, what their hopes and passions are. You make accommodations for them. You celebrate them rather than criticizing them. You encourage them. And when you've done all this, you're able to do something else very important. Because you built trust with them and they know you love them. You're able to challenge them too. But not, and this is important, not challenge them to get on board with your agenda. But rather, challenge them to pursue the dreams God has given them. And the purposes that God has put on their hearts. And if they start pursuing these, pursuing what God has called them to, guess what? You're probably going to be surprised at what God does and where God leads them. And as a result, you're going to be forced to change too. Because God is going to do things, new things, through them that God couldn't do through you. So Paul ends this passage with these words. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself might, will not be disqualified for the prize. Do you think Paul knows that going to others can be hard and uncomfortable? Of course he does. He knows it better than anyone. But he does it with all of his might. He runs harder than anyone because he knows it's worth it and that there's actually a grand prize in store at the end. And part of that prize is this. On that day, when we see Jesus face to face, he smiles at us and he says, You got it! You got me, and you got my heart, and you helped others to get it too. My heart of love that propelled me to go to you and to them and to everyone. And so you didn't stay in your comfort zone. And you didn't wait for people to come to you. No, you in love went to others as well. Oh, I hope you and I hear Jesus say that to us on that day when all of this is done and we see him face to face. Let's pray.